welcome to Loud and Clear, a podcast dedicated to amplifying the voices of women in music. I'm your host, Olivia Adams, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Alexa Haynes-Pion. Canadian-born Alexa Haynes-Pion has been described by Early Music America as a special artist with a brilliant future. Alexa has quickly established herself in the early music scene, performing on Baroque cello, viola da gamba, Baroque bassoon, and dulcine. She is the principal cellist of both Musica Angelica Baroque Orchestra and Opera Neo, and co-director and cellist or gambist of Musica Pacifica. She has performed with numerous American ensembles in Toronto. She was founding member of the early music ensemble Resonance and performed with Accenti Vocali and Tafel Music Baroque Orchestra. She has concertized throughout the United States and Canada, as well as in Bogota, Mexico City, and most recently Budapest, where she collaborated with the Hungarian State Opera. She has recorded for the TV show Hannibal and was featured as the solo cellist on the soundtrack to the highly acclaimed 20 2017 documentary that never happened canada's first national internment operations her recent album recordings include with the american bach soloists and musica omnia label and music and arts label alexa has co-founded los angeles baroque and amateur baroque orchestra in pasadena california she has been the guest conductor for many recorder and viola da gamba societies she also has taught at the claremont graduate university and has given master classes at michigan state university and she recently directed a program for Musica Angelica Baroque Orchestra in Los Angeles. She will be going home to conduct the Saskatoon Symphony Orchestra in May 2023, and this summer she will join the Orchestra Weiner Academy for European Tour. Now, just a heads up, in this episode, Alexa does a deep dive into Baroque cello playing, and there are a lot of descriptors and some jargon, so I'm going to do my best to have pictures and videos linked so that you can have a visual for some of what we're talking about, but I really encourage you to catch the live stream of her performance with the SSO to really understand what she's talking about. It's so interesting. I learned so much in this episode and I hope you do too. Welcome, Alexa. I'm so excited to chat with you today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. This is very exciting. Oh, my <laughs> pleasure. Well, I like to start all of my interviews with the same question and that is what led you down the path of becoming a musician? That's a great question, but does that, are you wanting to know like how I kind of got started in music or what kind of led me to like the professional path? Yeah. Just what's, what's your origin story there? Okay. Well, um, when I was like two and a half, um, I was, I, I never know who was on which show, but I, I you know, being two, you watch like Mr. Uh, Mr. Dress Up, which is the, the Canadian show, and also Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And of one of them had Yo-Yo Ma, and the other one had Ofra Hornoy. And they were like about a month apart, or maybe maybe two months apart. And when I saw the first one, I was like, Mom, I want to play this, because they were playing, obviously, cello. And I was like, Mom, I want to play this. And my mom's like, yeah, okay, you're two and a half, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> and then the next, like, whenever the next person came on to the other show, I was like, Mom, I still want to play this. And then she's like, okay, fine. So she's like, clearly, you remember this and this, you know, you want to look into this. So um, we found John Paisant, who actually is one of the cellists in SSO. And he took on little three-year-old Alexa. Oh my and, and that was just kind of, you know, just the beginning of it all. But what I am forgetting to tell you is that um, when I was a wee 
little thing. My mom actually used to play Dvorak cello concerto. She would have a record, like a boombox, whatever, under yeah. my crib. And she would play Dvorak cello concerto for me every night. And that's how I went to sleep in my crib. Oh my goodness. So it's like destiny that, you know, I kind of ended up being a cellist. So ever, you know, ever since, you know, my first days on this planet. <laughs> I love that story. I love so, that. Yeah, so there's kind of two things, you know, yes. two, two childhood stories. But, you know, my mom was a piano player. My dad does a lot of like singing and my grandpa was a violinist. And so, you know, it, it kind of just was part of you know, the family package, you know, you, my mom taught me piano. And then when I was in grade six, I took flute for a year, which that instrument did not connect with me as like, <laughs> like, I love, I love the flute. Don't get me wrong. Yes, but like, yeah. you know, like, but it just didn't like when I was playing it, it just didn't mm-hmm. connect. So and then the following year, I actually started playing bassoon in band and, and I'm still doing it all. So still doing it all. <laughs> I love it. So what was it that drew you to like specifically studying and specializing in Baroque music? And that inspires your path down all the amazing initiatives that you do in early music. So it was, you know, a typical story of I was... I'm um, studying at Brandon University and I was studying with Leanne Zacharias and I was complaining about, you know, the box suites. <laughs> it's just one of those things, you know, I was like, I just don't understand how I'm supposed to like make this connect, how I'm supposed to make this work. It just, it wasn't, I wasn't getting it. Mm-hmm. So she was like, oh, well, actually there's a workshop that my sister, Christina Zacharias, because she was, Christina is um, a member of Tuffle Music. So there was the the Summer Institute um, in Toronto. So, you know, Leanne just kind of like shipped me off and the first year went well. I went back the second year and it, like then it really like kind of clicked in my brain and it just, mm-hmm. just made a lot of sense. So then I, Christina Mahler, who was, who, she's now retired, but she was the principal cellist of Top of Music. She pretty much just said, move to Toronto and you can study with me. So I, yeah, I finished my degree quickly and then I just like packed my bags and I moved to Toronto and I, I had, you know, many lessons and years of study with her and, um, you know, other members of Top of Music as well, including Christina Zacharias and, you know, Jean Lamont, like Charlotte Nettig you know like I just I had this whole round experience of like every instrumentalist and just kind of learning from from everybody and that kind of was the deep dive into the dark side of of baroque music <laughs> I had the dark side of baroque music <laughs> so is it fair to say that it was like those mentorship opportunities that really opened up your world into the baroque thing? yeah no and yeah. it was really it's very interesting because up until that point, you know, just playing like a general baseline of a Vivaldi violin sonata or whatever, right. yeah, well, whatever you want to call whatever, whatever sonata you want to say, like, and then you play the baseline. It just felt so boring and like, like, is this literally all I'm supposed to do? But then when I was studying with these people, then like it opened my eyes to all these like gestures and different ways of shaping things and how to really like support generally a treble melodic instrument. But also, you know, you, you play with other cellists and it was just kind of a different way of looking at shapes. And that was the, that was the cool part that really drew me into it's funny that you say like you felt you weren't connecting to the music of Bach I had similar sentiments in my teenage years I mean like I've played enough prelude and fugues in my life you know so someone says that at age 18 you know and I was like I don't need to do anymore I don't like I don't I don't like baroque music I don't think I'm gonna do this anymore and then what is it that I reach for you know when I need to sit down and have a couple of minutes to to read through some music it's Bach it's <laughs> right, totally. um, and another thing that I found really was very eye-opening 
happening. Because with the Institute, the Tough Music Institute, they actually have bows that you can borrow. And just having like the right equipment for right. the right era, I think that was really what, what drew me to it because you create these completely different shapes with your equipment than if you have a modern setup. Absolutely. I felt the same way when I started to translate my music. When I was in my master's, um, my instructor was a professional harpsichord player and she made me play all my Baroque music on at least try it on the harpsichord so I could understand how the ornamentation works and it just blew my mind how much more sense yes. the Baroque music made when, when you're exactly right when you have the right equipment it was like oh well this makes way more sense now well because we've all been to those recitals and I were like you know they have a program of like Bach and then maybe like some sort of classical sonata and then maybe a modern thing like maybe like or whatever <laughs> and like the Bach and like the 21st century piece kind of sounds the same and, and, and you know it's just really just kind of adding more tools to your toolbox like the eras were different you know people thought differently people you know we didn't have they didn't have televisions you know they had you know they had other things that were important to them and just kind of reading all these books about how the society was kind of helps Mm -hmm. you understand like some of the gestures some of the rhetorical devices that they would have used absolutely Yeah, it's the context behind the piece. Well, I think that leads perfectly into my next question. And that's for people who don't know, can you sort of explain what's the difference between performing on a Baroque cello and like the viola da gamba among the other Baroque instruments that you play versus the modern instruments? Could you describe some of those differences? Sure. Well, um, I can start with Baroque cello because that's what people will see in May. So with a Baroque cello, generally I'm tuned down to 415, which is mm-hmm. if you hear an oboe playing the pitch at the beginning of a concert, I'm half a step below that. But also depending on what repertoire and what country I'm in, like it can be, you know, 430, which is just slightly below that, or I could be at 392 or 465, depending on, you know, if I'm playing Renaissance or whatever. So pitch is a little less standard in many ways. Mm-hmm. And depending on even like which court we're talking about, the the reason reason why people know what pitches to use for certain things is pipe organs and they measure um they measure the pipes and also wind instruments measuring the, the finger hole dis- distances and things like that so so with with broke cello i generally play at 415 but like i said that kind of opens this whole other realm of discussion about pitch but but i also play with gut strings i think my oh, strings wow. are maybe sheep gut maybe lamb i can't remember so we have this it's a bit of a softer texture but that also leads then you know like if it's like really humid outside your hands get really gross it's and you know the the texture of your of your fingers change. It's the same with gut strings. So if there's a major nice. difference, that's why you hear broke musicians tuning all the time. Because if there's like, I always make the joke, if anybody breathes, their strings will go out of tune. <laughs> <laughs> so it's that same kind of thing. So it's a little bit more of a sensitive instrument. So we have to do a lot more tuning. But the fingerboard with where you put your fingers mm-hmm. to play, that's generally closer to the body. And the, the tension of the instrument is much less. Um, also, I don't have like little fine tuners down below, like where you always see cellists like reaching around to tune. I tune with yeah. the big tuners like the like generally by the head also i obviously have a different bow different shape it's a little bit more curved which allows for different shapes but yeah so going into the viola da gamba oh so obviously uh, cello is still tuned in in fifths um, yes. like in a regular thing i don't have an end pin so i hold the instrument with my legs as i do with the viola da gamba which the instrument that i generally use is a seven string instrument tuned in fourths with the third in the middle so it's kind of related to um guitar or lute and frets and the frets are actually also gut as well as the strings of the viola da gamba so cellos generally have a rounded back viola da gambas have a very flat back what else can i say we have f holes for cello c c holes which are those things in the front 
Mm-hmm. Um, F holes for cello, C holes for gumba. Oh, obviously the bow hold is a little different. So on a cello, see, this is where it's hard to do it just verbally and not for people yes, to see. Yes, yeah, of course. Um, I'll link to pictures <laughs> and things like that. Baroque cello, we have our hand above the stick, just kind of like what you would normally see in mm-hmm. cello playing in an orchestra. But for viola da gamba, I actually hold the bow on the other side. So it's my hand is close to the, the hair. And that also allows mm. for, well, it's kind of confusing because where the hand is on a cello, you pull away from your body, that's a down bow. And up bow is the tip where you come back to your body. But with a viola da gamba, the heavy stroke, it's away from your body. So you're at the tip and you're coming towards your body. That is your your strong. A bit of a reverse. Yeah. So it's a little bit reverse. Plus also then we have like fourths with a third in the middle. So I often get asked to play the same repertoire on both instruments. And it's a bit of a mind twist because it's completely different fingerings, but you know, same range, things like that. But the two instruments are not related at all. We have like the violin family and then we have the viol family. So the viol family um, started you know 15th century and then those mainly used in like consort type pieces and by consort I mean there's a variety of sizes of viola da gambas and they all mm-hmm. play together and then 1520s that's kind of when the violin family started to emerge and the violin family is kind of like known as this outrageous like harsh <laughs> thing, as opposed to like these beautiful like la 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 like vials <laughs> <laughs> so it's um but then obviously as time changes um like they yeah. were kind of cello the violin family cello and uh, bass gamba were kind of used interchangeably for a long time and then gamba kind of fell out of practice it was not favored as much because it wasn't as loud so yeah so then cello kind of took over but people still use it for certain things especially like Bach well like of course that. and I mean I imagine that also the size of concert venues and the fact that people wanted to go to concert venues rather than doing these very intimate concerts in homes and in smaller spaces that sort of affected the volume of the instrument started to have an effect right totally yeah and then you know like with the gamba it came used um, more for kind of a meaning or like if you wanted a different kind of texture or whatever like for example I just finished St. Matthew Passion where I played you know continuo cello and then I have two gamba solos and one of them uh, is when you know Jesus has the cross and he's like trying to like carry it you know like and then if you're thinking about like St. John Passion that's the gamba solo Estes Bilbracht it is finished it is done kind of symbolizes you know a certain aspect of the story of Jesus dying so um so you know instruments can be used for a special like a specific effect yeah to kind of really connect with an audience yeah no that makes that makes perfect sense it's interesting that you say you played with gut strings I didn't realize that I am not a string player like I'm a pianist I did not realize that string players still played with gut strings and that are they hard to get or are they fairly common still I wouldn't say they're common um but they're but like you know you have to know where to get them right um and that's that's kind of the the tricky spot once you have a person you're totally fine um <laughs> but you know like up until World War II people were generally using right guts. so like this isn't like that far away of a concept no, no like, it's not it's, it's still within, you know, living history for, for many folks. So, mm-hmm. so, yeah, so it's, you know, it's just kind of bringing it back and, you know, steel is useful for many things and gut is useful for also many things, depending on what you're doing. You have an upcoming concert with the Saskatoon Symphony Orchestra, which we've, we've referenced here already, which is why I asked you to come on the podcast. And I wonder if you can talk 
a little bit more about the program that you're performing and what our audience can look forward to. Did you have a say in the repertoire that was picked? Yeah, actually, when Mark uh, talked to me, he said pretty much he was just like, I just wanted to be very cello heavy. And I was like, okay, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, which then leads to like, obviously, I don't have as many like wind players, like I have two flutes, Mm -hmm. two oboes soon Mm -hmm. that are going to be playing, but it's not going to be like a full much like that's much later repertoire than what what we're presenting. And, you know, like this is like my first time working with SSO. So I was like, you know, I kind of want to bring a little bit of like everything. So I have some Telemann, I have Vivaldi, got Handel, I have a little French, I have a little Luli. French is like notorious for being the scariest kind of Baroque music to play. Why is that? Stylistically, it's just, it's very complex. So I chose two semi-familiar movements from uh, uh, Bourgeois Gentilhomme. So we're doing March of the Turks and also um, the Chaconne Mm. at the end. So these will be really great. And these these are kind of March of the Turks. You can just do so much with it. Like with texture, I'm going to like play with a little bit like a basses only and then kind of adding to that. And so it's, it's one of those really cool, maybe I'll get somebody to like have some sort of staff and... <laughs> I haven't gotten that far down my down my uh, craziness, but no. But it's just you know I wanted to touch very briefly on 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 French Baroque, but it is one of those things that most orchestras actually won't play because it is just stylistically it's a lot more complex. Kind of just getting the mm. motions of it. It's very the word is inegal, meaning like yes unequal. So yeah. it's that plus then creating these other gestures that just kind of become a lot more so yeah so I just thought it'd be kind of fun to do a little dive into to French Baroque music but but like we're also going to be doing a Vivaldi and you know you know mm-hmm. gonna have usual Germans like Telemann and <laughs> the classics <laughs> quote yes. unquote yeah. <laughs> yeah and then you know um so I decided to do I'm doing two cello concertos so I'm doing one Vivaldi um this is actually like the quirkiest um concerto I think it's it's like super weird and I I love this concerto I got the opportunity to play it um actually at the beginning of the pandemic for a for a recording for Music Angelica um oh, nice. so, and you know I was like oh I have I didn't actually ever play it for an audience so so I'm I'm looking forward to to breaking that out and Leonardo Leo he also is just some crazy stuff so you know I'm just I tried to pick two cello concertos that probably nobody's ever heard that are actually like challenging for Mm -hmm. everyone involved to some degree like the Vivaldi it's very like kind of jazzy in a way and it's like a lot of syncopated kind of things and it's it's really cool so yeah and then we're doing some handle because can't have a broke program without handle and telemond Yeah, so then but the the one handle, because Mark said he wanted cello heavy, there's one of them has a second movement with two solo cello parts. He asked for a big cello program, so I'm just going <laughs> to... You gave it to him. <laughs> yes. So, you know, and, I, and I, I decided to go with a lot of repertoire that not only features the cello, you know, gives everybody a, a shot at having some fun stuff. Like there's the, the last piece on the program. It's so cool. It's by Telemann. And it, it just features two flutes and then has this like underneath and it's just it's unbelievable it is so cool and uh you know i just wanted to have like really fun rap and you know gave everybody nobody is just playing whole notes really right yeah (laughs) but like everybody has a lot of fun stuff and that was kind of my objective too in baroque music a lot of times like the ensemble music everyone has that opportunity to to shine because there isn't like there's more 
contrapuntal, obviously, and there's not as much that sort of instrument hierarchy that we get yeah. later on in orchestral music. Yeah. Um, well, like in super early stuff, there's definitely more like violinistic, like mm-hmm. hierarchy or whatever. But, um, you know, as a cellist, I kind of like to, you know, spice it up a little. <laughs> that, you know, the cello wasn't just a bop, 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 bop kind of instrument. Yes. There was a lot happening. And, and uh, so I'm really, I'm, I'm really excited about my program. So that's awesome. What does it feel like to return to Saskatoon to lead your hometown orchestra? Oh, this is so exciting because, you know, like this is where I grew up. You know, this yeah. is, like I said earlier, I studied with John Faison for I think, 16 years. Oh, wow. Almost 16 years. So, you know, like he was there through, you know, all those teen years. <laughs> Being a cello teacher, being a therapist, he knows he he probably knows all my deepest darkest secrets. <laughs> no, but you know, and then obviously his wife Lillian, and we have like Bernadette also in the cello section. Yeah. You know, Don McLean was my band teacher at St. Joe's. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. So um, unfortunately, I'm not using any brass, but you know, but it, it's nice to come back. You know, this is where I, you know, I got my grounding. This is where I started started off with all of this. So it's it's really nice to come back and share kind of what I've done for the last little while. So sure. Yeah, no, but awesome. it's just really very exciting because you know these are these are my teachers and yeah, and actually some of my some of my friends from youth orchestra play in the symphony. So you know awesome. it's not only the teachers but also yeah, you know, kind of the, yeah, yeah. So it's gonna be really yeah. very excited. So it's gonna be really hard to not be like you know chatting the whole time and actually like get to work because <laughs> you know like unfortunately like I only generally get home for Christmas and sometimes a little bit over the yeah. summer. You know, I'm there seeing family and my grandma who's like mm-hmm. ninety seven. You know, so it's you know it's all family type thing. So I never it's really a different get type of visit. Yeah. Yeah, I don't yeah. really get a chance to like catch up with everyone, you know. Oh, and I started my bassoon studies with Peter Gravelin, who's now retired. But then also then I moved to, to study with Marie Seller for a long time. And of course. So, you know, like it's like it's different instruments yes. coming together, you yeah. know. So it's, it's really cool. So and actually the night before we start rehearsals, I'm actually doing B minor mass in San Francisco where I... I get I get hired a lot to do I play second cello but then for quonium there's there's two bassoon parts for quonium so then I switch because there's a solo cello line two bassoon lines and a, and a horn oh line oh my goodness so I play cello but then I switch to bassoon for this and one what is that like you have to practice it like I'm not gonna lie yes. like I don't get up and like be like I'm just gonna switch no it's really fun and you know like I, I do quonium at least once a year on bassoon so it's really mm-hmm. fun because you know usually people want to two or three cellos and it works with one bassoon except for this one movement so right you know you gotta hop in yeah so it's (laughs) really fun so I'll be doing that like the night before we start rehearsing so oh my goodness a full full range of experiences yeah yeah (laughs) you're directing the orchestra from your cello and I wonder if you can tell us more about that process for those who've never seen this type of setting why is it that the baroque orchestra is often led by an instrument and not by a conductor so I'm gonna lead from the cello and as I said before um the cello I, I don't have an end pin so I sit with the cello between my legs mm-hmm. however there is a lot of evidence like images pictures iconography type things of cellists using either a beer barrel or a stool or a chair or books to prop the cello up so I've done that before I've also you know there's evidence of also people hooking there's actually there's a, a cello um one of the Amati cellos I think is the king cello in Vermilion South Dakota there's also another Amati cello in in Paris but they actually have a whole like drilled into the back where somebody will take a strap and like hook it into the instrument so they can like process you know okay. um, so uh, my husband's a luthier um so if I put uh, holes in my cello he would send me divorce papers very quickly um <laughs> 
However, there's this really cool, so I've used scarves in the past as well to like kind of hold the cello while I'm, it's just not really sturdy enough. So there's this guy, I can't remember his name, but it's it's a cello strap mm-hmm. and it's actually made for modern cello with like an end pin. You hook it on the on the end pin. However, since I don't have an end pin, I have to do a bit of a MacGyver system with, with Velcro. So it actually, it's a strap. So it's strapped to my, my body mm-hmm. and I can just like walk around and it's been great. But yeah. Cause like up until this point, whenever I've done any conducting with the cello, I generally put it on a chair right. and then I'm, I'm kind of mobile, but people can like, cause you can see my bow when I'm standing, as opposed to if I'm sitting, it's hard to lead when you're mm-hmm. the lowest one in the group. <laughs> so it's, it's easier to stand and then people can actually follow your bow. Your bow level is similar to where it is on a violin. So it's just like eye level. It, it works mm-hmm. a lot better. Also, I can move around. I can kind of position myself to whoever needs help. But I think just to kind of give people the experience for, you know, having a cello without an end pin, I, I will do some of that as well, just so people can kind of see what it's what is really like. yeah. yeah so but I will be I will be standing for some and I will be probably sitting for some as well when I was when I was directing a, recently in January I actually did one of the a Telemann triple concerto standing up I'm like that was actually really cool however I don't know if I can pull like Leo right <laughs> off but it's a big program <laughs> so we'll see so um, it's one of those things like it's like a marathon right like you can't yeah. just like wake up one morning and be like I'm gonna run a 26k or whatever yeah. to, you have to prepare your body yeah. for or it so luckily Luckily, I am used to kind of playing with it and it's actually a really fun option. And I was recently playing with a symphony in the DC area and they're like, oh my gosh, you have a strap. Can you stand while playing this program? And I was like, yes, I can. And I would love to, you know, so it's just, it's just another, another option. So, okay. So then your second part of your question was, why is it that the Baroque orchestra is many times led with the instrument rather than a conductor? Right. So historically speaking, there was no, let's just call it a guy because that's what it would have been in that, in that time standing on a podium with a baton. That's kind of like more of a 19th century type thing however you know Lily the whole staff like stabbing himself he didn't get his foot amputated and he died obviously um from gangrene Okay, I just wanted to pop in here and say a quick note about what Alexa is talking about. So the way that they used to conduct the orchestra is by using a giant wooden staff and sort of beating it on the ground to keep the pulse. Jean-Baptiste Lully accidentally hit his foot instead of the floor and a wound developed and it got infected and he ultimately died. Um, So this is the story that Alexa was referring to. I just wanted to clarify that for anyone who might not know the story. Okay. Back to the interview. So that's the, that's the kind of thing that would happen. But there was often a leader, like usually a violinist or a harpsichordist. You know, there's evidence that Abel, who was a cello gamba player, did some leading as well. So it's just, it's one of those things that it was more of a smaller chamber style. It's kind of like a big quartet. You know what I mean? Like, yes. Uh, but then as like the, as we get farther down the line, you know, Mendel- Mendelssohn kind of was thought of to be like the first baton guy, like with a wooden baton, you know what yes, I mean? But like, yeah. you know, but Spore also, you know, thought that he was, you know, there's just like, a lot of like ambiguous whatever you want to call it yes but you know then we get to like the 19th century with like Berlioz and Wagner and like they wrote on conducting and Mm -hmm. they were both like some of the best conductors ever or you know that's what has been said and you know then we get into start thinking like oh well what changed and it's like okay well the orchestras got bigger if Mm -hmm. everybody has an opinion we're not going to get anything done yeah so up to this point you know kind of everybody there was a leader but there was a lot more oh well I'm playing this line so this is what I think we should do and there's a little bit more chamber oriented in that 
that way. But yeah, so then then I started thinking, okay, well, Wagner, huge repertoire. We no longer can just have somebody like giving our beats or whatever. So he's the first guy that kind of was like, okay, so it's kind of my way or the highway. I'm going to interpret the music. I'm going to tell you how to play it. And that's kind of when this whole idea of like the conductor being the orchestral hierarchy. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, they're the, they're the ones who kind of interpret the score. They bring out the gestures. They talk about nuances. They run the show in many ways, as opposed to up to that point, it's kind of, if I told the conductor today that their job was just to keep a beat and to occasionally bring somebody in, <laughs> can you imagine? Like that would not go well. Would not go over well. <laughs> but that's that's what it started. Yeah. If you think, obviously Bach is very complex, but if you think like Vivaldi or Corelli, that kind of thing, compared to like Wagner, mm-hmm. uh, that's very different repertoire. And you really need someone who can help steer the boat, you know, yeah. kind of guide you through. Obviously throughout time, I think the first evidence of some sort of conductor was a thousand years ago or something, right? So like there's always been like some sort of leader and like in vocals, we have someone who's always keeping like the tactus. So there's always been some sort of leader, but the idea of somebody like standing there with a the baton, this, yeah. you do this, that's much more of a 19th century thing. So I'm just kind of bringing it back to basics and just, I'm thinking of it as like a big chamber experience. It's, yeah. I want people to feel like they can ask questions. They can, mm-hmm. you know, we can discuss how to shape something. Yeah. But it's going to be, it's going to be really nice to have this kind of new experience with them. So. Yeah, I love that even in this concert, you know, they're doing it in the smaller venue so that it can be that more intimate experience. And you're doing it with the traditional instrument with the strap and leading it from the instrument. So rather than a contemporary interpretation of Baroque music, it's sort of bringing it back to what that original experience might have felt like when we heard those pieces the first time. I'll I'll be using an iPad. So that's super. I got the iPad and the cello strap. So, you know, like that's my like connection to the modern world. I love that. What are you enjoying in your musical life right now? Oh, what am I enjoying my musical life right now? Quite a bit of travel, which is really nice. I really like experiencing new areas and, you know, meeting new people, getting to collaborate. It's been really, since the pandemic, it's been really, there's been a lot of travel. So, which I really, I do like. My dad actually came to the last thing and he actually just left a couple days ago. I was playing in the Bay Area, in San Francisco Bay Area. And then I was in San Diego the week after that. And then I was in LA the week after that. And dad came down to LA to see St. Matthew. And then we flew back to DC because that's... That's where I spend half my time, which is where I am right now. So yeah, I know he was just kind of with me and he was just like, I'm so tired. I was like, dad, yeah, like this is this is like the life of a musician. Like, welcome. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's just traveling from venue to venue with the right. those like, eye patches underneath. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I come by these eye bags, like, you know, it's like a lot of time on a plane and kind of have to, you know, adapt to, you know, new, new surroundings, new, you know, new airlines, you know, depending on where you're going. And, you know, it's just kind of learning to be as flexible as possible and with everything and, you know, kind of just adapt to what's happening around you. It's kind of, it's really exciting to not always kind of be in like your normal bubble. It's kind of mm-hmm. you're in a different bubble every week. And that's, that's, it's really nice. Meet new people, play with new people, kind of merge your, your musical abilities and what whatever to make a program really great. That's the fun part, I think. I well, love that's that. why we do this, right? We, we do oh, this. Oh, to- certainly. We so. do it like the connection through the music is is the thing that that matters. I tell my students that all the time we're in festival season here. And I was like, the one performance is not the pedestal moment. It's the the making of community. It's the building of community through music as as that vehicle. That's the important thing, exactly. you know, and everything else is just it's the icing on the cake. Right. Well, it's been a real pleasure getting to chat with you. We're going to wrap up our chat with a few rapid fire questions. I've been asking everybody the same five questions to end Ooh. our episodes. No wrong answers. Just go with your gut. Can you point to a moment when you knew you wanted to be a musician? Probably 
basically high school, you know, trying to figure out what to do with yeah. the rest of whatever I'm going to do. So music just made sense to me. I just kind of always thought it. I, I, I always joke that I would have loved to be a doctor, but you play with well, guts I don't in like a different chemistry, way. So. <laughs> do you have a favorite piece of music to perform currently? Oh, there's just a lot. Honestly, the one that I kind of get the most rewarding feeling from is like a St. Matthew, actually. And that's just because I came out of St. Matthew and like every time you finish it, you're just like, wow. Yeah. And a half hour masterpiece you know and every time yeah. you play it it's totally different mm-hmm. um it's just it's it's one of those pieces that you keep coming back you're like oh god i have to prepare for this and then it like happens and you're like wow it's just like being on like coolest trip i love it have you ever been given bad career advice and what was it i i really can't think of any bad career advice that i've been given the one thing that i wish for future people is okay so I, I yes i have not gotten bad advice but there's been a lot of details left out so and i think it's just kind of knowing like the business aspect of being a musician like like by the government saying you are your own business right so of course yeah. to, you know figure out your taxes mm-hmm. what do you do about a retirement plan you know, these kind of things, this is, you know, musicians and mentors, they don't talk about money. Like, mm-hmm. how do you make money as a musician? If you are yo-yo ma, fine. But yeah. like for the rest of us, how do you, how do you juggle making a life? How do you juggle like finances? How do you, one thing I learned at, dur- during the pandemic is that I have kind of all my eggs in one basket, you know, for, yeah. for lack of a better term, like I, I solely perform. I don't generally do a lot of teaching. So, you know, like when the pandemic hit, like all of my, all of my performing was obviously gone and I taught a tiny, tiny bit, but I don't have a general studio because I travel a lot. So it's just kind of like this idea of like, how do you diversify? How do you make sure that you're kind of able to survive as a musician? Mm-hmm. So I kind of, sorry, I kind of switched your question on you. I oh, thought. it's good. I like uh, it. But yeah, it's just that kind of thing that I would like, you don't learn that in school. You don't really, yeah. I don't think I've ever talked about finances with another musician. Yeah. It was interesting because one of the episodes that just aired where um, we talked with someone from the Association of Canadian Women Composers, and she said that the best advice was to take a business class because she's like, I had to learn things the hard way. And she's like, I just wish for other musicians to not have to do that. I absolutely agree with you. One of my colleagues is doing a research on portfolio careers of musicians and how to set musicians up successfully to run their own business. Right. I've actually is- been thinking about taking up business courses. So it is important and it's not talked about. And I think that's, and everybody seems to struggle with the same things. So it's just coming together collectively to figure out what the best thing is. And honestly, a little bit like that's kind of on schools as well. Like there really needs to be like, okay, you're going to do this. This is what you need to do. It's part of pedagogy. You know, if we're going to teach classes on how to teach or how to be performers, like how do we market ourselves and how do we, what does the, all of that look like? So yeah, right. no, yeah, I, you know, like it's great. You have to juggle performing, teaching, usually a lot of admin work because concerts don't put on themselves. Yes. And you know, like things like this. So just grant writing and. Oh, totally. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's, it's those kind of important things that I think are often very overlooked. So uh, yeah, it's great. What music are you listening to right now? Well, I fly to San Diego, not tomorrow, but the next day to play um, Rossini Barbersville. So that is currently Fine. what I'm listening to. <laughs> you know, like it's one of those pieces, like I know, I, I know it, like everybody yeah. kind of, or at least knows a couple of years or whatever, but it's just kind of giving the pacing between things and kind of what I'm listening for right now. Also, you know, I have B minor mass coming up and a couple other operas that are coming up. So just, just kind of getting really familiar with certain things. So I can't think of specific things that I'm listening to right now. I'll honestly, like if I'm just hanging out at home or whatever, I'll probably put like 2000s pop or whatever on but like <laughs> top 40 whatever whatever is happening so yeah I kind of try to 
listen to things other than classical music because I think it's yeah. important to absolutely broaden one's horizons of what's what people are listening to. Of what music is. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. I feel like if, if us as classical musicians going forward, we have to kind of figure out what the mass population connects to and how to kind of connect with that. So I couldn't agree more. Well, thanks for coming on Loud and Clear. Do you mind letting our audience know where they can find you? And I'll have links to everything we referenced in the show notes. Sure. My website is alexahainspilon.com. I'm also on Facebook. Um, I have an Instagram, but honestly, I don't know what the handle is. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll find it. <laughs> I haven't really done much on Instagram, but I'm very bad at social media. I really, that's actually another class that I need to take because (laughs) for how old I am, I should be fully fine with social media. (laughs) (laughs) However, it's just, you know, it's a dirty slope, you know, it can, it's, you can go down very quickly. So, but my website is kind of the one thing that, that is fairly update, updated. So. Amazing. Well, thanks again for coming on loud and clear. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Well, that is going to do it for our episode this week. Thanks so much to Alexa for coming on the podcast and enthusiastically teaching us all about the Baroque cello and how it works. I learned a lot in talking with her that I just didn't know about Baroque music. My favorite part was when I asked her about gut strings and she said, you have to know someone and that once you know someone, you're set. I thought that was hilarious. Be sure to catch Alexa and the SSO live next week on concertstream.tv or in person if you're in the Saskatoon area. Thank you to the Saskatoon Symphony Orchestra for sponsoring sponsoring this podcast. I'm your host, Olivia Adams. This is Loud and Clear, and you can find me at OA Music Studios on socials. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.